Hi, I'm Jeremiah Johnston. Here's the podcast for The Jeremiah Johnston Show. And don't forget, if you want your question read on the live show, go ahead and send it to me at www.askjjj.com. I hope you enjoy the conversation. Hey, Dr. Johnston. Hello. uh, Hello. Uh, well, since you guys are Christian thinkers, so anyway, I just want to leave that question. I wanted to get your input on that. Sure, appreciate it. Thank you, Douglas. That's my question. So, thanks a bunch. Thank you. Welcome to the Jeremiah Johnston Show, combining cutting-edge biblical scholarship with meaningful, thought-provoking discussions and practical answers to your questions. It's time to own your faith and be a Christian thinker with our host, author, Bible scholar, apologist, and president of the Christian Thinker Society, Dr. Jeremiah Johnston. Hey, welcome to the Jeremiah Johnston Show. I'm so excited about the conversation that I'm going to have today with Pastor J.D. Greer, who is the current president of the Southern Baptist Convention. He's also the lead pastor of a fantastic church, actually based in Raleigh, Durham, North Carolina, but they are everywhere. It's called the Summit Church, and we are dedicating the entire hour to stop to discuss the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it's not just something that's a diving board, as Pastor J.D. Greer has written. It's the swimming pool, ladies and gentlemen. The gospel is the key to every aspect of our Christian life. And uh, what I love about Pastor J.D.'s ministry is he says the gospel um, is literally it is something that is 24-7. We embody it. We live it. It's not just something we see in the rear view of our Christian life. It is a constant, present reality. Um, also, under Pastor J.D.'s leadership, the Summit Church has grown from 300 to over 10,000. Uh, but they also have this fantastic vision, and I hope to get to this with him, to t- plant 1,000 new churches. Think about that. Their church planting 1,000 new churches by the year 2050. Uh, And in the last 15 years, the church has sent out more than 1,000 people to live on church planning teams in North Carolina, across the United States, and around the world. I can't wait to jump into this conversation. If you're just joining us, this is the radio show that receives your questions through AskJJJ.com, through our live events with Christian Thinker Society. And then we architect programs based on those questions. I've received Twitter questions today. Those of you who've tweeted to me at underscore Jeremiah J., Questions about salvation, questions about assurance of salvation, questions about atonement. We're going to be launching into so many of your questions. And in my dialogue with Pastor J.D. Greer, who has written extensively on the subject of the gospel, we're going to be taking your questions. So thank you so much for submitting those to us in preparation of this program. Uh, But we're also going to go deeper, and I hope that this program stretches and challenges you in a significant way today to perhaps be reminded of the power of the gospel in your own life. How is the gospel doing in your life? I mean, yes, it's so important. It's, It's the entry point of our relationship to Jesus Christ, but it's not just something in the past, right? Um, The gospel is something that invigorates our life at every moment. It's what gets us out of bed. It's what causes us to love the Lord our God with our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And so today is going to be a great broadcast for you to encourage you in the gospel. I want to encourage you, though, if this is the first time you're joining us, check out any of our archived programs. Every time we air on Faith Radio Network, this program is also available via archive podcasts. So we're available anywhere podcasts. Any way you listen to podcasts, you're going to find the Jeremiah Johnston Show, Spotify, Twitter, Stitcher, and every other name that you can think of, iPods, Google Play, you name it, we're there. So definitely subscribe to it. I've had an interesting week. (laughs) 
I keep running into people around the country who are telling me they're listening to this radio show on the podcast. So God bless you for listening and joining us. I'm delighted to have you aboard for this program. We have people listening from all walks of faith and life. And we're coming together saying we believe that Jesus is Lord, that he takes preeminence in our life. And so thanks for joining us, those of you who are listening live and all of you who are listening in the archive podcast. And I share that to say, make sure that you share these programs. We create blogs, so definitely share them on your social media. I'm excited to jump into this conversation. We've got Pastor J.D. Greer holding for us. Check it out. It's going to be a great program. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Hey, welcome to the Faith Radio Network broadcast of the Jeremiah Johnston Show. I'm delighted to have you joining us. This is the program that inspires you to love God with your heart, soul, and mind. I have a Christian thinking perspective for faith, life, a biblical worldview, loving God with our heart, soul, and mind. I'm delighted, truly delighted, to be joined by Pastor J.D. Greer today on the broadcast. He has a brand new book called Above All, The Gospel is the Source of the Church's Renewal. I'm delighted to have a discussion with him about his new book and also the questions that you've submitted to us on the radio show through AskJJJ.com or through ChristianThinkers.com. Pastor J.D., thanks for joining us today. Um, Jeremiah, thank you so much for having me. Friend, I want you to tell us a little bit about your faith journey. I know about it because I'm a huge fan. I've read your books, but um, we have a wide audience listening across both the Central and Eastern Time Zone on Faith Radio Network, and then lots of Christians, new Christians listening around the world on podcasts. So, Pastor J.D., can you tell us how you got into doing what you're doing right now, your calling, ministry? I know it's a great story. <laughs> well, I grew up in a, um, a, a, a a family where my mom and dad became Christians literally the year that I was born. Um, I, I don't wow. think it had any, any any correlation to me being born, but I think they like you know whatever they they got saved and they you know they just I mean they just <laughs> they really kind of dove in head first. And so I always say that you know I had the privilege of being only drug problem I had growing up was being drugged to church literally every time <laughs> the doors were open. So I grew up with it. It's just you know kind of part of my language. I did the thing where at six years old, you know, I prayed to receive Christ, got baptized, that, that whole deal, and everything was fine until, you know, probably 15 or 16. And, I, you know, I, at that point, it was just pretty obvious that, you know, I'd prayed a prayer, kind of a ritual prayer, the Protestant ritual of asking Jesus mm-hmm. in your heart, but I was not a follower of Jesus. I had not given him my heart or my life. And so, made a long story short, I went through just a horrendous time of doubt about my own salvation. How can a person know for sure that they, they know God? And um, that all got settled when I was about 16 years old. Uh, that actually is what produced the, one of the the, uh, the first books I wrote, which was you know, "Stop Asking Jesus Into Your Heart." Was just that question of how can a person know? Um, you know, I, it, it, probably the next big stage in my faith journey happened when I was um, 18, 19. That's when I really started to question the faith in general. It's mm. like you know, I'd already given my heart to Jesus, but how do how do I know that this is what what really? How do I know that that what I believe is right? It's not right because my parents believe it. And, uh, there's got to be other reasons, and so that that led to a, you know, probably a year, a year and a half of just asking some of those fundamental questions. During this time, I was studying to go into law. I, I, I wanted to do, to do constitutional law, and um, and so uh, anyway, after that that process, and I felt like I got those questions answered in some pretty unusual ways. Uh, it was through a John Piper book that I, it really things got settled, wow. which is he, he doesn't really write you know kind of defense of the faith books, but just really seeing the, the largeness of God and who God was and, and how a lot of my questions were postulated toward God as if God was the, the same as me. Um, mm-hmm. And anyway, 
Make a long story short, you know, that was a firm, and I, I sensed God calling me to go to the nations, uh, you know, studying the book of Romans and just the overwhelming nature of how many people there are in the world that have never even heard the name of Jesus. Uh, I, I, I'd been doubting it because I'm like, well, God, if, if, if you're really God, then that's not fair. And, mm-hmm. I, you know, suddenly, like, the tables return, and I realize what's not fair is for somebody who does know the truth about the gospel to not do everything that he or she can do to, to get it to others. And so I said, Lord, if you'll let me go. And not that you can't use a lawyer, not that you can't use a politician, but if you'll let me go, I'll go. And uh, I felt like the Lord, for the first time in my life, said, finally, you're asking me the right question. It's not, wow. you know, it's not like, hey, what am I going to make you do? But but what can you do that you know, to bring the gospel to others? And so I went over to seas in Southeast Asia as a, uh, as a missionary to Muslims for a couple of years. And that led back to coming get, getting my Ph.D. in in uh, Islamic ways of thinking about salvation and what the gospel says to them. And while I was doing my PhD, I became a pastor of this little sleepy Baptist church here in the Raleigh-Durham part of North Carolina. And now that's four o'clock, 17 years later, <laughs> here I am at the, at, uh, at the Summit Church and it's the same church. And uh, just, you know, the things that, that God continues to, I thought the original things that God gave me in terms of, um, you know, showing the reasonableness of Christianity, the college students um that's college students are a huge part of our church and then sending people to the nations that's still those things are, are still core in the ministry of the summit church so uh, i'm not sure if that's what you're looking for but that's that's it i love it and and your your writing has been prolific i want to hear more though about your phd i'm fascinated i was looking into it earlier today can you just uh drill down a little bit further um on what you studied specifically in your phd you touched on it but i'm, I'm fascinated by your question oh well the nerdy term is Islamic soteriology, which is a fancy word that means how, how Muslims think about becoming, you know, like how, how they get saved, how, how they know for sure they're going to heaven. And I noticed that over in, in uh, when I was over in Southeast Asia, all the ways that I've been trained to share the gospel were basically as if everybody thought like Americans think. And when you are raised as an American, you don't realize that other people don't ask the same questions you ask. And all of our gospel presentations are based on, like, you know, I'm guilty of sin. How can I get forgiveness? Um, Muslims, for different reasons, they just don't think about God and sin that mm. way. And, you know, they're like, I mean, they would say things like, well, I mean, God just forgives whoever he wants to forgive. It doesn't, you know, you, you, we, we don't make each other sacrifice a cat if we're going to forgive each other. So why, 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 is, why is this a problem for God that he, he can't forgive somebody until there's been a blood sacrifice? The question they do ask, however, um, is how can I ever um, feel close to God again? in light of so much dirt and filth, you know, moral filth that, that is now covered over my heart. And so I, I, what I did is I went back to the early church, um, the, the first writings of the early church fathers on, on salvation, and found that Interesting. that's kind of the way they talked about the gospel, too. It was like this, how do, how do we overcome this gap between a sinful man and a holy God? Um, mm. And so that's why I found this, it's sort of a strange thing, but I found this unity between what the early church fathers said about salvation and the questions that Muslims are, are asking. Five times a day, every Muslim reminds himself that they're unclean before God. They have to go through mm. a ritual washing before they pray. Yeah. And, you know, what I was able to show is that, that the, you know, the, the, the New Testament speaks about, about the blood of Jesus, not just paying the sin debt of the of the, of the guilty person, but it also talks about washing away um, the sin, you know, of our heart that keeps 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 us separated from God. Uh, and so, it, 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 I'm not saying that you you share the gospel with this way with a Muslim and they you know fall to their knees and get gloriously saved, but you, you can see them 
then you can see the, the light of recognition come on in their eyes sometimes and they start nodding their head and, and mm. they, they, they track with what you're saying about, about the, the questions that Jesus is answering. If you're just joining us on the Jeremiah Johnson Show, we're talking with Pastor J.D. Greer. Go ahead and connect with him right now on social media at J.D. Greer. And I hope uh, that you have a J.D. Greer shelf in your personal library. Um, I don't want to get too far afield, but have you have you and I know you're working eight days a week right now. I mean, you you and Veronica, four, four children, amazing children, <laughs> incredible gospel sending church. And oh, by the way, you're president of the Southern Baptist Convention. Have you thought, though, about doing and, and please correct me if I if I'm just simply unaware. Have you thought about doing any popular spinoffs? And by popular, you know what I mean, from your Ph.D. Um, dissertation? I'm fascinated yeah. about that topic. Well, actually, well, I appreciate you saying that. Um, I actually turned it into a book called Breaking the Islam Code. Gotcha. Uh, it was the very first book that I published, and it okay. was with um, Harvest House. And, you know, it's just kind of you, – you, I mean, you know how it is. You're a prolific writer, too. You know how those first books are. Uh, but it's still one that we give to a lot of missionaries uh, that leave from our I church to go over these places. But you know what we tell them is, is like, you know, like if you ask a Muslim, I'll share this last thing, and then I know you got some other things you want to talk about. But if you ask a Muslim, like, what's the, what's the dirtiest thing that you can encounter? They'll say, oh, it's a pig. That's what they used to tell me at least. Oh, it's a pig. If you touch a pig, you got to wash seven times. You can't just wash the water. It's water and sand and soap and this whole process. And I used to ask them, like, really, that's the dirtiest thing? I mean. What about like you know thoughts of adultery or blasphemy against God? And they'll kind of, yeah. Where does that take place? What takes place in your heart? Well, what happens if if you know your heart is now stained by this? Well, we just repent and God forgives us. You're like, well, wait a minute. You can't just repent of touching the pig and God forgive you. You have to you have to repent and wash. So why wouldn't your soul have a, a corresponding thing where you've got to be cleansed? And it's just of all the I haven't led like you know thousands of Muslims to Christ, but every Muslim that I've seen come to faith in Christ personally has been um, really kind of through a path like this one, where they discover that even God has even left witnesses to Himself in something like Islam, presenting questions that Islam is not able to answer that only the gospel can answer. Wow. Uh, I'm fascinated just by the subject. We've got to move on. But I will just mention to you, several years ago, I spoke at an event with Don Richardson, you know, Peace Child, the famous book. Oh, yeah. And uh, he um, it wasn't even his message that night, Pastor J.D. He was talking about Peace Child to a, to a large popular audience. But in the Q&A, he said that Islam was the number one question for the church, in his opinion, that Christians had to be equipped not to do polemics, but to reach Muslims for Jesus Christ. And that's, I've never forgotten it. I, I heard that that night. It was in the early 2000s. I've never forgotten it. It's been something that's always been on my radar. And um, what a great thing you're doing with a PhD. I just, I love that. Thank you for yeah, even sharing in politics. Yeah, yeah, even exactly. in world politics, when you think about Oz Guinness, you know, he, he'll say that the biggest question right now in world politics is what is going to replace atheism mm. in the former countries of the Iron Curtain? Is it going to be Islam or Christianity? That's he good. says because whichever one it is is going is going to have massive implications for world politics. Wow, that's good. Okay, I want to ask you a question. So in, in 1 Corinthians 15, you know, I see a theme, J.D., and I'm sure I'm not the only one who's seeing a theme, almost like a silver lining connection with most of your books the gospel. I mean, that's you. You obviously embody someone who is falling deeper and deeper in love with the gospel, and this is this is the outgrowth of your ministry at your church, the Summit Church. Um, but what does it mean to you? And I want to quote from the ESV. Now, I want to remind to you. I want to remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you. So pause right there, and can you just pick it up with your new book? Above all, why did Paul have to write to this audience and say, "I want to remind you of the gospel"? 
Yeah, well, you know, he goes on from there, and he says these things are of first importance. And then he says, you know, Christ died, was buried on the third day, died for our sins, was raised again. You know, the first importance is kind of, I mean, it's a little bit redundant because it's, it's like, well, you know, is it important or is it of first importance? And what that shows you is that there was a lot of things that were important to Paul, but there was only one thing that was of first importance. Hmm. And, you know, it, 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 there's, there's a previous passage in the same book in, in 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 2. Paul says um, what many scholars think is an exaggeration. Is he says, um, I determined to know nothing among you Corinthians except for Jesus Christ and him crucified. The reason they think it's an exaggeration is because, I mean, hello, have you read the book of 1 Corinthians? It's about a lot of things besides just <laughs> yeah. Jesus Christ and him crucified. But what Paul was saying is, in no matter what I'm talking about, nothing really takes the centrality away from or the first place of this message of the gospel. And I refuse to let any other good and important thing ever displace the thing that is of first importance. So you say, okay, well, here we are, you know, 2,000 years later. What threatens to take away the centrality of the gospel in the church today? Um, and there's, you know, depending on what angle you look at it, there's a dozen different answers. Um, you know, there's certainly we can replace the power of the gospel with, you know, kind of um, moral, moralistic, you know, uplifting strategies for living. Uh, you know, five steps to having a good marriage and you know, four ways to be a better friend, three ways to get along with annoying people. And those are great, but that's not what the center, you know, Christianity, as it, as it has been said, is not good advice. Christianity is fundamentally good news. The gospel is, Paul says, the power of God into salvation, which means, um, you know, it's not just the way that you get saved. It's also the power for living out the Christian life. But always the way I tell it to our church is, um, you know, Uncle JD's, you know, 10 steps to a good marriage are not nearly as as life transforming for you, as understanding the ten thousand steps that Jesus took toward you when He rescued you, wow. and if you if you embrace that, that'll actually make you, you know, that that, that turns you into a, a better husband, the kind of husband your wife has always wanted. You know, when you when you when you understand Christ's love for you and you begin to love her that way. So that's one way. Another way we see, um, I think, especially relevant right now, is you know, it, it's easy to let political agendas displace yes. the gospel. Now, as I alluded to a minute ago, you know, I was studying constitutional law. Uh, Jeremiah, was, knowing you, I'd imagine you'd, you'd be this way too. I, I've got I've got opinions on pretty much any topic that somebody wants to bring up. Um, <laughs> global warming. Uh, if we're talking about you know peace in the Middle East, if we're talking about universal health care, whether that's a help or a tragedy. I mean, I you, all of them. Um, but I know that none of those things, as important as they are. I know that, that for me, as a pastor, I can't let any of those things get in the way of, of the one essential thing that God has told me to do, and that is to, to preach the gospel. Amen. I, I say it kind of tongue-in-cheek to our congregation, but I might be wrong in what I think about global warming, but I'm not wrong about the gospel. That's right. And I refuse to let my opinions on the former keep people from hearing me on the latter. That applies to me in a special way because I'm a pastor, and I you know, kind of in people's minds, I you know bear the responsibility to share the word of God. I have to be even more dialed back and cautious than I think most Christians do. But I sure. just don't want anything of secondary importance to come in the way of people hearing me about the things of first importance. That's so good, friends. We've got to jump to a quick break. He's J.D. Greer. He's the pastor of the Summit Church, and he's our guest today on Faith Radio Network. We'll be right back.
Welcome back to Faith Radio Network. This is Jeremiah Johnston. I'm joined today by the 62nd president of the Southern Baptist Convention, Pastor J.D. Greer. He's a prolific author. We're right now discussing, above all, the gospel is the source of the church's renewal, his brand new book. But I want to encourage you to check out all of his books, Personal Favorites of Mine, Stop Asking Jesus Into Your Heart, How to Know for Sure You're Saved, and also Not God Enough, Why Your Small God Leads to Big Problems. J.D. Greer um, reminds me a lot of J.B. Phillips um, with a lot of his writings, which is a great compliment. um, JD, right, I, want, <laughs> I want to I want to press into your book because mine's all notated here. For all the pastors that are listening and, and Christian leaders for that matter, Bible teachers, you write. Um, I think it's in chapter one or your your introduction here. I'm reading from my notes. You talk about how every sermon should be grounded in the good news of what Jesus Christ has done. How do we do that in such a series driven modern church? Um, can you just give some practical steps? And I know your book goes into depth on this, but how do you right. recommend for the pastors that are listening to you? To, how do we do that? Well, what makes it easy is that, that really if you interpret any passage of the Bible correctly, it really is pointing back to Jesus, who he is, and what he's done for you. Um, you know, the Bible's ultimate message is not go and change. The Bible's ultimate message is embrace what has been done for you. It's you know, it's it's the Bible's message is spelled primarily D O N E done, not not going through. And so, you know, as a pastor, yes, I am often preaching aspects of the law, whether that's you know the formal law, the Ten Commandments, you know, don't kill, love people, all that mm-hmm. kind of stuff, or um, you know, I'm preaching a, a New Testament version of law, like how to be a good husband. And I've got to show that no matter what I'm preaching about, the power to do those things comes from the message of what has been done. The fire to do in the Christian life comes only from being soaked in the fuel of what has been done, and that's what's got to people have to remember. Charles Spurgeon, the famous, you know, London um, British pastor, nineteenth uh, century. You know, he he would always say he always said that uh, no matter what he was preaching about, he would always plow a trough back to the gospel. And mm. when I first heard that when I was in college, I thought that meant that you know, no matter what he was preaching about, he would take time at the end to share the four spiritual laws and give people an invitation to get saved. Um, and that's great, but what, what he what he meant there was no matter what he was preaching about generosity, you know, being a good a good friend, a good spouse, um, the power to do that flowed from the cross. And so you think of the image of a trough. I got to pl- I got to plow a trough back to the gospel so the water of life can flow from the cross, from the finished work of Christ. It can flow to it can flow to you and 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 take care of of your you know of whatever it is that you need to change. That's where the power is going to come from. Martin Luther. Um, he called it the dilemma of the great commandment. You know, the great commandment: love God with all your heart, soul, and your mind. Um, you know, love your neighbor as yourself. Luther said the dilemma of that commandment is that God is commanding us to do something that, by definition, cannot be commanded. He said because if you if you actually if you love God, then you wouldn't need a command, right? I mean, you know, like yeah. you can't. Uh, you don't need to com- the things that I love. You don't have to command me to do them. You n- no one ever has to command me to uh, to eat a steak, to take a nap, or to kiss my wife. <laughs> I just do those things. Or have Tex Mex in Houston with me. <laughs> that would be fantastic. And no command necessary, just invitation. Um, on the, the flip side of it, Luther said, is that um, if you don't love something, no command can change that. Um, I hate mayonnaise and tomato sandwiches. I just I think it's disgusting. Uh, if you're a big enough boy and you probably are. You could probably compel me to eat up mayonnaise and, and, and tomato, but you're not going to make me love it. 
So how is it that the God commands us in the Great Commandment to do something that we either shouldn't need to be commanded to, or if we don't do it, no command will change that? And that's where Luther said that's where the gospel comes in, because the gospel supplies the power for what God commands. You know, First John four nineteen, we love because because God threatens us with hell, because He promises us blessing. No, it's we love because He first Amen. loved us. Growing in our awareness of the love of God for us is what produces love for God and for others in us. The book is Above All, The Gospel is the Source of the Church's Renewal. And it's really, I want to keep drilling down with you, Pastor J.D. And friends, our guest is J.D. Greer. Go ahead and connect with him on social media and check out his website. You can see his current series that he's teaching. Check out his podcast. Check out uh, Summit Church if you're in the area. Um, You write, that's why growth, when you talk about how the gospel is for Christians too. And I just, I love this, J.D. That's why growth in Christ, and I'm quoting you, is never going beyond the gospel, but growing deeper into the gospel, and you give a great Batman analogy in your book, but can you just uh, can you just uh, press into that for us a little bit? Yeah, so most of us think that the gospel is like the entry right. Um, it's the, it's like the AB, literally I heard it as the ABCs of Christianity. Um, it's the prayer you pray to start the Christian life, the diving board off of which you jump into the pool. But after that, after you've gotten through the ABCs, well, then Christian growth, that consists of learning new doctrines. You know, um, uh, you know whether Kirk Cameron is going to get left behind or not, and when that happens. Um, you know what, what, what uh, you know, uh, different aspects, uh, just depth of theology and all that kind of stuff. And and I, I listen as a PhD in theology, I love depth of theology, so I'm not I'm not hating on that at all. Um, and you, but you think of that, and it's like uh, it's just you know that Christian growth is, is growth beyond the gospel. But what you find in Scripture is that Christian growth is really growth deeper into the gospel, because the deeper you go into the gospel, the more alive you become with spiritual fruits. It's like a well. Mm. You know, the best water in a well is not found by widening the circumference of the well. It's by digging down deep into the well. And so what that means is that is that whenever I'm—and you see Scripture do this—whenever I'm talking through you know, what God's Word is saying, I've got to take people back to this moment of— just faith in the in the message about what God has done, because that's what releases the power to, to change. D. Martin Lloyd-Jones, he's not a British pastor from the mid-20th um, century, and he, he had a great way of saying this. He said, you know, there's, there's an argument that was that took place in you know the 1950s about whether sermons should focus more on teaching doctrine or giving relevant application. And, you know, it, well, here we are, what, 70 years later having the same argument, but mm-hmm. um, <laughs> exactly. it's, 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 it's those two. And Lee Jones said, he said, respectfully, I would say that both those are not the right focus of a sermon. He said the focus of a lecture is that you leave with a page full of notes. You know, it's a doctrinal lecture. The focus of a motivational speech is that you leave with a page full of action steps. That's, you know, a, a, a relevant sermon. He said, but the focus of a gospel sermon, the focus of a Christian message, is that you leave worshiping. At some point, the pen goes down, and the eyes should go upward, and you stop saying, oh my God, look at all these things that I am not doing for you that I need to start doing. And and what you start saying is, oh my God, look at what you've done for me. And Mm. that brings such a power of change into people's hearts that whether you're talking to somebody that's been in church all their life or somebody that's a brand new Christian, that is the power to change. I mean, that's it. That's the power to change. You know, that's I said this earlier. I think in our previous segment, but 
the gospel is the only thing in all of Scripture besides Jesus himself that is referred to directly as the power of God. Not, mm. not, not without the power of God, but is itself the power of God. And so that's what I'm, I'm doing as a pastor is I've got I've to be putting power in people's hearts. And that power comes through faith in, you know, in the finished work of Christ. Excellent. I love it. After 58 verses, we're kind of staying in this 1 Corinthians 15 passage. It obviously gets to the passage we're all familiar with. My beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. And I love it because we don't have, Paul didn't have the versification. The very next verse is now get out your checkbooks. We've got an offering to take. People are in need in Galatia. And I, I want to just set you up, Pastor JD, to talk about isn't even the gospel then the key to our ethics? Oh, Absolutely. I mean, you know, every just about every command. When you learn to read the Bible this way, it's going to be like, like, like you'll start seeing stuff you've never seen before. I'm not talking about you, uh, Jeremiah, but I'm talking about you. Know, when, when I people, will. <laughs> you're just like, why I didn't see this. Every single one of these commands is connected to what God has done for me. I, I give you a great example. Second Corinthians, and this it relates to the one you just shared. Second Corinthians, Paul's second letter uh, to the same church, um, or third letter, depending on how you read church history. But he. Uh, um, the, he, he said that there was, you know, there's this, this time to take an offering. And what he says is, remember the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. Though he was rich, for your sakes he became poor. Mm. For yeah. most, I, 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 I'm a Southern Baptist, um, and so for most Baptist preachers, when you want to pull out the big guns on giving, <laughs> you, you go for guilt, right? That's right. Like, how can you sit there in your air-conditioned home, driving your BMW, you disgusting, right. overfed, fat American? <laughs> and, um, it, you know, and, and it works. It works. Um, yep. If you're more in the, shall we say, charismatic stream, you, you, a lot of times their preferred method is greed. Hey, the reason, mm-hmm. you, you know, you're having financial trouble is you're not giving enough. So if you really want, you know, gold fillings in your teeth and a new BMW, then you should give to the church. <laughs> um, you know, right? But, but Paul chose neither of those avenues. His main thing was grace. He's like, think about the enormity of what God has given to you. Then he tells, you know, Jesus, when he was talking about this, he tells a story about a man that was forgiven 10,000 talents, which, you know, it's, uh, that number goes right over us. But um, uh, they said that King Herod, his annual salary was 900 talents a year. So when you're dealing with a guy that owes another guy 10,000 talents, we're talking um, an incalculable debt. Hmm. Well, you know, I mean, you know the story, and I won't take this full time to tell it there, but this, you know, this king forgives the servant and his debt, and the servant you know, um, goes out and sees another man, another friend of his who owes him like $2 for, a, you know, a, a Mountain Dew that he borrowed the week before. And <laughs> this, this servant who's just been forgiven 10,000 talents grabs this other guy by the throat, starts to choke him and throws him in prison. And the king, you know, he hears this and he's like, what? You know, like, how could you do that after I just forgave you that? And then he takes the guy and he throws him into, you know, in, in, into prison. And you, you almost can hear Jesus's original audience when Jesus tells the story. They're kind of like looking at each other, sort of shaking their head, like, "Come on, man, that would never happen." Nobody that just got forgiven ten thousand, you know, gazillion dollars is going to hold somebody else accountable for two and throw them into prison over it. And Jesus is like, "Exactly." And so that means that if you're not generous with your money, you must have no concept of how generous God has been with you. Amen. And it's only when you're o- o- overwhelmed by God's generosity to you that you become naturally generous toward others. It's only, like Paul says, by remembering the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ that you'll, you'll develop a natural generosity in your heart toward, toward your fellow man. 
He's Pastor J.D. Greer. He's dropping wisdom all over us, and this hour's going by way too fast. We're going to be back on the other side of this break. I've got four questions that you've submitted. We're going to get through them. Stay with us. You're listening to The Jeremiah Johnson Show. Welcome back to the Jeremiah Johnson Show. I want to thank you for submitting questions to us at ChristianThinkers.com. I also want to thank you for all the great reviews and just the the testimonies I'm hearing across the country. Those of you that I met in Denver last week, God bless you. I'm so excited that you're finding this program to be helpful and spiritually encouraging to your life. Um, Pastor JD, we have some questions that have been submitted, and I've been actually, our team has been just uh, actually uh, uh, bringing these together under this whole topic of salvation, and I would just give you the heads up. There, a lot of them are on assurance of salvation. So I want to just throw these at you and let you just wax yep. if, if you don't mind. Leanne yep. writes, um, Pastor J.D., since the book of Jeremiah says that my heart is deceitful and desperately wicked, how do I know that I have trusted Christ enough for salvation? How do I know my faith is genuine and I've just not deceived myself? Um, how do I know I've believed enough? Yeah, well, great question. And um, I'll give you a, kind of a two two angles on it. The first is you've got to enter this discussion realizing that you have a heavenly father who wants you to know. Hmm. And that's, that, that, that was a big thing for me is that God, I mean, I think about with my kids, I have four kids now. And, you know, if, if I leave on a two day you know trip out of town, not one time have I ever sat my kids down before I left and said, Hey, I just want you to know, I love you. I'm going to think about you every day. And I'm going to bring you back, you know, some, some goodie, uh, some surprise while, I'm on the road or, or maybe I'm not really your dad at all. Maybe this is all a big illusion. Maybe my actual family lives somewhere else and maybe I'm never coming back. I want you guys to sit around and think about that and let that compel you to become better children, right? Mm-hmm. No loving father would ever do that to their child. Our heavenly father is the same way. He wants us to know. And so even though my heart is deceitful above all things, God has, he has shown me and overcome that by giving me the more certain promises of the gospel. That even in the midst of an of an unbelieving, um, you know, doubting, rather disgusting heart, I can know that God's word is is even stronger, and that His promises are stronger. Um, really, what salvation is, it has nothing to do with the strength of your faith. It has everything to do with the one that faith is in. The weakest faith in Jesus saves. The strongest faith in the wrong thing will not save. Faith is not the savior. Jesus is the savior. You know, I, sometimes I compare it to. If you had a you know a guy who's a PhD from you know from MIT and he you know, could build a, a plane from scratch and standing beside him on the jetway is you know a guy who's you know redneck guy who's never you know been this, you know been anything past you know, middle school doesn't know anything about flight and one of them doesn't understand how the plane will fly and the other one knows exactly but the invitation is given to get on the plane and so the the redneck with all of his doubts about how this big metal thing could get into the sky he gets on the plane. Well, who's going to make it to the destination? Well, the answer is the one who got on the plane, not the one who understands everything. Um, Jesus, when, when, when people would trust in him and they would rest in him, even if their, their faith was shaky, he, he will never let you down. He, he, you know, he, he says, all those who come to me, not one will ever be put to shame. That's Romans ten eleven. Uh, to go to Charles Spurgeon one more time here, this has been helpful for me. He said, you know, there's that scene in Matthew 7 where all these people say to Jesus at the end, um, oh, Lord, 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 you know. And he said, Depart me, I never knew you. And uh, Spurgeon looked at his congregation and he said, That troubles some of you all. He said, But I know, I know Jesus could never say that to me. He said, Not because I'm a, I'm a, I'm a great person, not because I've lived a morally perfect life. 
He says, but because if Jesus said that to me, I would look back at him and say, not know me. I put all my hope for righteousness and salvation in you. You told me that, that, that if I would just trust in what you did and trust in you to save me despite my sins, despite my messed up heart, if I would trust that your grace was greater than even my heart, that you would never let me down. How can you say you don't know me? And that's kind of how I feel now. It's like, yes, my faith is not impressive. My heart is deceitful above all things. But Christ said it is finished, and I, I believe it. I, I embrace it. Even though I'm weak in how I embrace it, I embrace it, and I'm resting all my hopes of heaven on that. And Paul says that is the faith that is, is credited to me as righteousness. Fabulous. Sean asks, Pastor J.D., don't I need to pray the sinner's prayer so God knows I have trusted him as my Savior? In other words, I'm reading how he write. if I don't yeah. pray or tell God— how does God know I have believed on Jesus' finished work unless I tell him? I struggle with minor OCD tendencies and sometimes feel an urge to remind God that I've trusted him. Please help. Does God really know and remember? <laughs> yeah, well, that, that's one place. I, I actually understand that because I actually dealt with this a little bit, and I described that in that book, Stop Asking Jesus Into Your Heart. Um, you know, I, I'm not a licensed counselor. I don't, you know, I'm not equipped to deal with OCD sure. you know, type of issues, but I do know that Scripture tells us that God knows our thoughts. You know, he knows altogether what's in man. Psalm 139, before I lie down, when I lie down, you know my thought, you know my secret thoughts. He knows how many hairs are on our head, um, which to me would be even more difficult to keep track of than just the thoughts going through my mind. So God being a spirit knows, you know, that. I don't need to pray and tell him anything. He knows what I need. He knows what's in my heart before I even verbalize it. He knows the thought before I think it. He knows Psalm, you know, Isaiah 49, the end from the beginning, which includes, you know, the thoughts that I'm going to think. Um, a lot of times people will verbalize their, you know, their cry for salvation because it feels natural to us to do. You know, God be merciful to me, a sinner. But there's nowhere in Scripture, nowhere, that says a prayer or an expression, a verbal expression of faith is necessary for salvation. What it says is that it's trusting in the finished work of Christ. You know, that it, it, believing in your heart that God raised him from the dead, it's with the heart man believes in the salvation. With the, with the mouth you make confession that you, you have embraced this. Uh, the way I describe it and stop asking Jesus in your heart is salvation is a posture you take toward the finished work of Christ. Think of it like sitting down in a chair. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, right now I'm seated in a chair uh, going through you know, this interview. Um, that means at some point I made a decision to transfer the weight of my body off of my legs and onto the chair. Now, you know, if I announced that to the chair, I'm sure the chair, if it had ears, would be grateful. You know, if I said, oh, chair, thou art a lovely chair, and I want you to be my <laughs> personal chair, and I'm, I'm going to now make you my chair. I mean, but I don't need to do that. But what shows you that I have made the decision is that my weight right now is on the chair and not on my legs to hold me up. And that's the way it is with the finished work of Christ. It doesn't matter when you prayed or if you remembered it or what you said. What matters is are you leaning your hopes for salvation on the finished work of Christ and his mercy given on the cross? I love it. Friends, we're listening to Pastor J.D. Greer, and these are great questions you've submitted. I definitely want to encourage you to get his book, Stop Asking Jesus Into Your Heart, How to Know For Sure You're Saved. Um, Real quick, because I want to get to a a couple other questions. Here's one that says, um, I'm confused. Pastor Martin Luther said in the preface to his commentary on Galatians, we do nothing in the matter of faith. We give God nothing, but simply receive and allow someone to work in us. Don't we give him our faith? This is a question. Yeah, so <laughs> so at that point, you're kind of dealing—the way Luther was speaking there was he was saying even our faith is itself a gift of God. Luther mm-hmm. would never have said that, that that takes out our personal volition in it, meaning our, our personal choice of it, 
just that when we chose that, then that was a sign that God was at work in us. You know, Philippians 2.13, it is God who works in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. Amen. Which means that not only the doing of his good pleasure, but even the, the desire to do it actually comes from him. That's what Luther's going at. He's not trying to say you have no choice in the matter or you're not responsible to choose. He's just saying that when you do choose of your own free choice, you look in the rearview mirror and recognize that the reason that you made that choice is because God was at work in your heart. Amen. Okay, I've got to switch gears. These are great questions. Thanks for submitting them. So, Pastor J.D., I have five children. Audrey and I have Lily Faith. She's 10. Justin is seven. And we have three-year-old triplets. So we haven't slept in three years. So (laughs) that's our life. But something really phenomenal is happening right now. Um, Lily Faith, our 10-year-old daughter, has literally expressed in prayer that and I hope you don't mind me just being really transparent with you on the nationally syndicated radio show. Um, at, but after we stopped reading the book of Genesis, because it wasn't really G, and we moved to the book of John, she started praying with me at night. She said, uh, Daddy, you know, I want to pray that I'll become a full Christian. I want to make sure I know what it is to be a Christian. And so I've bought her a New Living Bible, and my wife and I want to, in effect, lead her to Christ. What are some of the ways you would mentor me to do that? I know you've written about this with your own children. We have so many questions from parents, but I'm just interested to hear your answer. Yeah, well, there's a little um, section in South Asia's in Your Heart where I talk about wrestling with the question of, like, because I don't want to, you know, what if they pray too soon? They don't understand it, and it, like, exactly. inoculates them from the right. But that, that's, again, that's, that's the wrong way of thinking about what salvation is. There's only one posture that is ever appropriate toward the finished work of Christ, and that is surrender to his lordship and trust that he did what he said he did when he died as the full payment for your sins. It, it does not matter in the slightest bit when you, when you got into that posture. It doesn't matter if you signified it with a prayer. It doesn't matter if your grandmother was there and Billy Graham signed your Bible and grandmother's tears <laughs> stained on the front flight. None of that matters. All that matters is what's your posture. From the very earliest days of my kid's life, I mean, from the time that they could speak, I was trying to always teach them, Jesus did what he said he did, trust him, and mm, he's the Lord, mm, submit to him. Um, mm. At some point, they might solemnize that, you know, by praying a prayer, and most of them have, but it doesn't matter. The question is, right now, assurance is always a present tense conversation. Right now, are you trusting in the finished work of Christ? Amen. Right now, are you submitted to his lordship? And so that's what I tell you. So from the, if your daughter's saying that, Teach her that Jesus did what he said he did and that he's the Savior and she can trust what he did and teach her that he's the Lord and submit to him. And later she might figure out when that really became real, but but that's what you should be encouraging her to do right now. I love it. I love it. So I want to ask you in my final question, and thank you for your generosity of your time. Um, and friends, the book is above all. The gospel is the source of the church's renewal. Connect with, haven't you just enjoyed listening to Pastor J.D. Greer? Hasn't he encouraged your spirit today and just given you a vibrant faith? Um, I want to ask you, Pastor J.D., to, re- to react to something, and I'm, I'm going way in a whole different direction. I've been asked 30,000 questions at our live events at Christian Thinker Society, and I was shocked to learn that my number one question from Christians is suicide and mental health in the Christian life, just all things related to mental health. And I've actually said now, I think that the number one apologetics question of our time, it has to relate to the the whole question of mental health in the Christian life and how the church needs to be present, have the ministry of presence. Can we just end? We only have about 90 seconds, but can you just talk about um, what you think about, can you just react to that a little bit as a pastor and as a leader of a great, great denomination? One of the mistakes that pastors make about these questions is they treat them all like spiritual issues. 
Um, and I think that there are significant physical, sometimes sociological, sometimes past trauma events that create you know, these kinds of things that we need to be aware of and to have the humility as pastors to recognize that we are not, are not experts on these things. As a pastor, I'm you know, more equipped to deal with the spiritual side. Certainly that is, is a part of it, you know, that sometimes they're what is creating, whether it's despair or depression or some of these things, it, it will go back to a spiritual root of idolatry or, you know, not trusting God. And I need to be able to challenge those things, but also realize that, that, that there are times that God made us a psychosomatic unity, which means that our yeah. body and our minds and our spirits all kind of bound there together. And, you know, what, what happens to one affects the other. And so, you know, I mean, not to trivialize this, Jeremiah, but I experienced that when I, you know, when I'm really hungry, I get a lot less spiritual when I have not, not hangry. You know, I, I get hangry. I, yeah, right. Yeah. Or I haven't got enough sleep. And you know, so, so there are things that whether it's past trauma or physical you know, and chemical imbalances, you know, these are things that you, you get a lot of professional kind of guide you Amen. through and, and deal, you know, kind of do it all together and, um, and realize that, that, that sometimes when people fall into these traps of despair and everything that that yes yeah, sometimes there's going to be there's going to be multiple factors but sometimes what they really need is our, our compassion i do not believe and i hope i know that this is what you probably teach there but but um you know by god's grace there's no sin that overtakes a believer that disqualifies them from salvation Amen. and you know because I, somebody gets overtaken in a moment and it leads to you know the despairing thoughts that lead to suicide Man, that's no more forfeiting their salvation than if you know. That's right. I, I lose my temper and say a curse word and drop dead of a heart attack right at that moment. That's not, you know, it's not going to forfeit my salvation either. Um, so, you know, just to fight the good fight, press on, and, and treat these problems with the full scope of of the gifts that God has put into into His body and into the world. Well, I know I speak for thousands who are listening. Be assured of our prayers for you. We thank God for your leadership in the Southern Baptist Convention, your leadership in the home, your leadership at the Summit Church. And I hope, uh, I hope we can have you back. This conversation has gone by so fast, and, and we're just excited about your writing and your ministry, Pastor J.D. So thanks for spending time with us on the program today. Uh, thank you, man. I've enjoyed it too, Jeremiah. Thanks for having me on. Be back anytime. We'll be back, friends, with my final thoughts after this last 90-second break. Stay with us. You're listening to Faith Radio Network. Welcome back to the program. That was a fantastic conversation with J.D. Greer. Hey, guess what I just got in the mail? I just received from Lifeway Publishing. Let's count it here. One, two, three, four, five um, of the brand new Bible Studies for Life curriculum. I want to ask you all to pray because, as you may know, those of you that tune in regularly, um, I released a Bible study last month called Answers to Tough Questions, How to Defend Our Faith, where I answer six questions. Do we need to defend our faith? Is there a God? Is Jesus God? What proof does my testimony offer? Um, does absolute truth exist? Aren't all religions the same after all? So those are the kind of questions that I answered in the Bible study, and it's available right now. You can check it out at christianthinkers.com. But the cool thing about partnering with Lifeway is they have 98,000 Bible study groups, primarily in local churches of all different denominations. So to be clear, 98,000 groups equates to about 1.5 million Christians that this Advent season, for their Sunday school or Bible study, whatever y'all call it in your church, they're doing this study. And I actually just received the five different versions. They even have a giant print version (laughs) that I can really see well um, for different groups that are studying. So will you join me and pray 
that the Bible study answers to tough questions that I wrote, which is going to be used um, for six Sundays in a row, six weekends in a row. Will you just join me and pray that God's Spirit uses that mightily for His glory? Um, and also, check out all of the content and the resources that we have. I mean, if you love this podcast, I mean, these are the things that I write about. So you're going to want to check out our Christian Thinker Society online store. You can go there right now. You can see three different Bible studies that I've written. You can see multiple books that I've written on questions like the ones that we discussed today with Pastor J.D. Greer. Those are available to you. I want to also ask for you to pray for me right now because I'm on my way today to Stephenville, Texas. And I love this because this church has been booming with growth because of the gospel. They've been doing 60 days of sharing their faith. And tonight and tomorrow morning, I'm going to be doing what they call Draw the Net. We're just going to be encouraging people to come to faith in Jesus Christ. So pray for me tonight. Pray for me in the morning. And I'm praying for you. I'm so delighted to have you listening across the Faith Radio Network. And again, this is the programs that takes your questions. So I know you have more of them. Keep submitting them to us at AskJJJ.com. We'll see you next time. Hi, I'm Jeremiah Johnston. Thanks for listening to the podcast from The Jeremiah Johnston Show. I definitely want to hear from you, so if you have a follow-up question from today's program, you can submit it to me at www.askjjj.com. You'll also see how you can connect with us from there across social media. And don't forget, these conversations are available because of listener support. And you can make a gift right now to the Faith Radio Network at www.myfaithradio.com. And to avoid missing future editions of The Jeremiah Johnston Show, please subscribe to the podcast at iTunes. You can do a Google Play RSS feed. And thanks for sharing this audio link with a friend and growing the impact of the program.